I started working on the thing as a side project, right? So it was just kind of me sitting there with a computer learning how to write Go for the first time. One of the most interesting things that we do on Red Circle, which is a technology called dynamic insertion. So with dynamic insertion, we are actually stitching together the audio files uh, that you download when you download a podcast, right when the download is happening. So right when the listener presses play, you know, we're analyzing what rules are firing to decide what advertisements are to be inserted in this content. And then we are actually stitching together the audio file right there on the fly. But there was no front end, there was no nothing. There was just kind of a, a big back end that was capable of doing that stuff. I'm Mike Caden, the co-founder and CEO of Red Circle. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lavhart, and today how Mike Caden went from teaching physics in high school to creating a platform to help podcasters get paid. All this and more on Code Story. Mike Caden is a family man, having been married for seven years with a two-year-old, and yes, in the no phase. He studied electrical engineering, specifically chip design and computer architecture, obtaining a dual degree in double E and education. He's a musician, singing in acapella groups, playing the drums, piano, guitar, and is a polished beatboxer, having been practicing regularly over the years. Mike started his career as a high school physics and math teacher. During this time, he learned a lot about managing a bunch of kids in a class and catering to different types of personalities. It was at this time he found himself trying to find a way to write code to make his classroom work better. In the winter of 2017, Mike was working at Uber, leading the communications platform team. As the company grew bigger, he found himself longing to be in a smaller, more tight-knit team along with being aligned to a long-term vision for positive impact. At the same time, he started hacking on a side project on nights and weekends, learning the Go programming language and creating a unique way to stitch together podcast episodes. He found his passion not only for the solution he was building, but for making an impact in the podcasting industry for podcasters and marketers. He went on to commit to building a marketplace to easily connect the two, creating a win-win scenario for both. This is the creation story of Red Circle. Red Circle is a podcast growth and monetization platform. So we help podcasters distribute their content, do all the things that they need to have a podcast in the world, distribute it, have analytics for it, have a content management system. Then more importantly, we work on tools for growth and monetization. So we have a product that allows podcasters to exchange cross-promotional advertisements with other podcasters to help grow their audience. And we also help them make money both through collecting payments from their listeners, either as a, a recurring donation or, or as a paywall for some of their content, as well as uh, with advertising. We help match uh, podcasts up with advertisers who might be interested in buying on their content. And so altogether, kind of trying to take uh, podcasting from a hobby to a small business, that's what we do for folks. Folks who want to take their podcast seriously and, and want to step up to the next level, grow and, and make money on their work. That's what we do. We have some shows that uh, that make uh, no money. We have some shows that make grocery money. And we have some shows that make rent money. And we have some shows that are that are small businesses that are all off their podcast. It really depends on um, sort of where you are and how your content is resonating with audience. Um, but that's sort of what we do. 
And then on the other side of the business, we also work with advertisers uh, to help them purchase inventory on those podcasts. So we've built software to make the actual process of buying podcast advertisements both efficient and effective, which is something that's hard to come by uh, in the podcasting industry. So we're trying to sort of bring some efficiency and automation, make it possible for advertisers to purchase advertising on, on more than just the top 100 shows, because as you start to step down and be purchasing on hundreds of shows or even dozens of shows, the overhead of doing that gets quite complicated. Long story short, we're a podcast platform that helps both podcasters and advertisers uh, to be heard. We started the business back in the winter of, of 2017. I was working at Uber at the time. I was an engineering manager managing a, a team at Uber responsible for all of Uber's email and SMS and push notifications and phone calls. We were called the communications platform team, sort of taking all the touch points between Uber and the third party world of communications and all those different media and building it into a platform internally so that one team at Uber could very easily send a text or send an email without having to deal with the complexity of those those worlds. You know, we had a team of about 30 or 40 engineers and product managers and designers working on these problems. We had built out a bunch of stuff internally for marketers to be able to execute campaigns on top of those communications channels. So a lot of software, fun problems at scale uh, where you're sending a bajillion push notifications a day and so on, trying to enable riders and drivers to make phone calls without seeing each other's numbers and making sure that worked across the globe. I had been at Uber for about five years and the company was really, really big uh, by this time. I was starting to feel like it was time for me to step back to something small. When I started at Uber, there was about 50 engineers there, about 250 people. I sort of missed that smallness and that hustle and that interconnectedness between teams of people on teams that, that comes with a smaller sort of high growth experience. So wanted to find something like that for myself and actually started looking around for jobs and um, spent the evenings, you know, writing code to get myself uh, ready to do a coding interview. You know, I was a manager, but was interested in exploring coding again. And the project that I chose was to build um, something for podcasters because uh, I was just an avid podcast listener. And, uh, you know, I interviewed around at a bunch of places and I didn't find anything that I really liked. And more and more, I was liking what I was building on the side and, and you know, eventually sort of found myself up at two in the morning, you know, reading podcast trade press and reading the research about the industry and starting to think about, hey, maybe there's an opportunity to do something here um, that can help creators that, that formerly have haven't been able to monetize and make money on their work and actually turn this into a small business. And I was really motivated by that and sort of sat down with my wife and decided like, hey, maybe maybe we should try to pull this off here. Maybe there's a opportunity to build a business that, you know, in some ways followed the same promise of what Uber was after, which is that, you know, anyone with a car should be able to go out there and make money. It was unclear to me whether, whether I was pumped to be working there anymore. And I wanted to make sure that the thing I worked on next was a fundamental good in the world. When I found something that felt like it resonated with me, even though it was my own idea and just me, you know, late at night working on a side project, um, something felt right and it just felt like I needed to pursue it. Let's dive into the MVP a little bit. Tell me about the first product you built. How long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? I started working on the thing as a side project, right? So it was just kind of me sitting there with a computer learning how to write Go for the first time. So our back end is written in Go. Uh, started in the winter of 2017 and then sort of had a fully functioning backend in the spring of 2018. You know, again, it was just kind of like a side project. So if I was working on it full time, I think it would have been done a lot quicker than that. And, and that was just a backend that had, you know, everything you need to create and manage a podcast, uh, as well as one of the most interesting things that we do on Red Circle, which is a technology called dynamic insertion. So with dynamic insertion, we are actually stitching together the audio files 
uh, that you download when you download a podcast right when the download is happening. So right when the listener presses play, you know, we're analyzing uh, what rules are firing to decide what advertisements are to be inserted in this content. And then we are actually stitching together the audio file right there on the fly. Um, and, and that was sort of the core and interesting piece of technology that was built into the MVP. But there was no front end. There was no nothing. There was just kind of a, a big back end that was capable of doing that stuff. And then I took uh, started working on the front end, which I did for a couple months. Um, but, you know, the last time I had written front end, it was like a jQuery and very older frameworks uh, that people don't really use anymore. Um, so learning React from scratch was was fun and interesting, but took me took me a little bit of time. You know, and I don't have any design chops. I don't have uh, a lot of product experience. And so actually building the thing from scratch on the front end was, you know, it was really just kind of looked like wireframes and was really quite ugly. And it's still the same front end that we have today that is that is built off that same original frameworks, but um, obviously has evolved quite a bit. And so it really sort of took me from the winter of 2017 to the summer of 2018 uh, before I sort of stopped building everything and, and looked back and said, you know, hey, this is this is a full featured thing. Now it's time to go uh, find some people to, to work with me on it. So when you're building that MVP, you have to make certain decisions and trade-offs, right? Like I'm going to build this now or I'm going to build it this way because it's faster versus how I want to build it. Tell me about some of those decisions and trade-offs that you had to make and, and how did you cope with them? I think one of the biggest ones was all of the coding that I had done sort of at scale was either uh, on a team. I I'd previously worked at a nonprofit where there was like an infrastructure team that had managed everything infrastructure related. And then at Uber, obviously, there was like a ton of people working on that. And there was a bunch of infrastructure to quickly spin up new new applications and new services. And the biggest thing I had to do was like learn how to do all of that. Uh, like I'm not a stranger to Linux. In fact, I, I wrote all this on a, on a Linux machine. So I know my way around a server. And but, you know, setting up production infrastructure structure that's monitored, that um, that can be easily redeployed, um, that can be spun up and spun down uh, as demand changes for the service. All of that work was really a, a lot of new learning for me. And so as much as I wanted to learn about Docker and Kubernetes and other modern deployment systems and stuff like that, uh, I, I decided there's only so many new things that you can learn while you're building something from scratch and decided to just stick with the things that I know. So I would say our deployment system is scripting based. It uses Ansible. It's like a much more old school style for um, for how you might deploy and manage uh, production applications. And, and we hold that to this day. It's super stable. Don't get me wrong. But I think could be more fluid if, if I had spent more time kind of learning that. But, you know, you can only spend so much time learning when you're spinning things up from scratch. The other thing that sticks around that's from the MVP is I spent a long time going really, really deep into how MP3s work, because in order to do this, this dynamic stitching, we really needed to be able to, you know, to be able to to play around with MP3s and stitch them together on the fly. And one of the compromises that I made early on to make the, the math and the complexity of that stitching make sense was that we were going to pre-process all of the audio that we stitched together. So when you upload something to Red Circle, we're going to run run it through uh, some processing. We're going to change the MP3 itself that we're going to use to serve a little bit, and you know that that can upset some folks. They might want a higher bit rate than we use, or they want a lower bit rate because they don't want us to generate such large files. There are pros and cons to having to do this pre-processing. It also takes time after you upload uh, an episode to Red Circle. You have to wait a few minutes while the processing happens, just like it would happen on YouTube, for example. And so, you know, all of that comes from, gosh, I'm just one guy late at night trying to figure out how to get these MP3s to stitch together. 
had to make some compromises there uh, on on how to make that work that stick around to this day. Um, but you know, we're the right choice at the time because you know, if I'm just building another podcast hosting platform, there's there's 30 of them out there. Building dynamic insertion from scratch, I think, was one of the coolest things that we did early on. Absolutely, it's definitely a differentiator there. I can totally see that and feel that as a uh, user of Red Circle. Tell me about how you progress the product from there. Okay, so you got the MVP working. You did have to make some decisions early on of what to do and not to do. But how did you progress it past that point? One of the key things we did to uh, progress it from there is hire a bunch of other people to join the team so that we could be a stronger group of folks to push the product forward. So not long after the timeline that I said, so I guess in the fall of 2018 and the winter of 2019, we hired on two more engineers. And we've been working with a, a brand designer and a contract designer for some time. So I think the, the most important things about the evolution is that like we had a, a lot more hands on keyboards to help move the thing forward. And some of the key things that we did were, were sort of taking the core technology that we had developed in dynamic insertion and starting to apply it to new and interesting domains. So we created this cross promotional marketplace where two podcasters can uh, upload a little 30-second promo for their show, and we'll take care of the automated insertion of those advertisements on the two different podcasts. And so that was the first kind of -of out-of-the-gate product that we launched with. Um, So that's worked great. We have all the data to show how it moves audience around and can be effective if there's a good match between the two shows. And just continuing to push forward and use that dynamic insertion technology for user-facing features. So, you know, all the way up to to today where we have a a fully automated advertising marketplace where both parties can kind of click a few buttons and end up with an executed ad campaign. I think on the front end, we've had a lot of time to take it from what I said before was basically like an ugly set of wireframes to a real beautiful and highly usable UI. And that came from, again, just having folks who know the front end way better than me, having designers that are gifted and and building something that um, that ended up being a lot more usable than what the thing looked like on the first day. I, I would be embarrassed to show you. Another thing we built not long after cross promotion were some of our payments products, which allow podcasters to collect recurring payments. You know, we know we needed to work on paying out podcasters for advertising, which was our eventual goal to build. Um, And so we started working with Stripe. We started figuring out how are we going to configure things so that podcasters can connect their bank accounts and and get paid out. So all of these were kind of steps that we were taking towards the dynamic advertising marketplace that we're running today. To get there was really about strapping on additional products that were using our core features of dynamic insertion, moving the money around and podcast hosting uh, and starting to expand on those as we move closer to what we were actually trying to build. A lot of this is in the answer you just gave, but how did you go about building your roadmap? What's the next most important thing to build in your roadmap and, and what helped you decide that? There's a lot of literature to read about what what is essentially a marketplace business. Red Red Circle is essentially a marketplace business because we have podcasters on one side, they're offering up their supply of advertising, and then we have demand on the other side and the advertisers who are looking to buy. And there's a lot of literature that you can read about marketplace businesses. And and one of the key things that you need to figure out to to get them off the ground is how to solve the so-called chicken and egg problem, where you're not going to have any advertisers interested in buying your content unless you have enough content to make them interested and you're not going to have any podcasters who want to use your platform if nobody's making any money through advertising. And so that's a classic uh, chicken and egg problem. 
Uh, at Uber, the way they solved this was by by paying the drivers hourly when they launched in a new city. So in the beginning, Uber just made hourly guarantees to drivers before the app was popular in a new city. They would just make sure the drivers were getting paid so that the cars were always out there until enough demand was appearing and the market would kind of get kicked off the ground. And, and in many ways, what Red Circle did was something very similar, which is, you know, we had all these tools for podcasters to be able to distribute and do analytics and all the things that you get from a podcast hosting company. And we decided that we would just give that away for free. For many podcasters, that was enticing. Instead of paying 20 bucks a month for uh, podcast hosting, they could come and host with us for free and take advantage of some of the tools that we give with dynamic insertion. And so um, that was kind of how we got off over the hump. And then a lot of the roadmap was just inspired by the first year of the business wasn't really about helping podcasters make money through advertising. It was really about bringing on enough podcasters such that we would have enough inventory so that advertisers would be interested. And so that was about building more and more features for podcasters and giving them away for free to entice them onto the platform. So that was that was kind of how the roadmap came to exist. First, it was like, all right, let's do hosting. Let's help our shows grow. Let's do payments products so that we can help some podcasters make money before the advertisers are ready to be here. Let's release tools for dynamic insertion that you can configure yourself. For example, put a, a, an intro in the beginning of your podcast uh, on all of your episodes and change the audio all at once. Instead of having to go into GarageBand and edit 100 episodes, you can do it through our UI in a couple of clicks. So really just trying to, to sweeten the pot to bring podcasters on uh, with the hopes of being able to bring on enough to open it up for advertisers. And, and we've done that. Now we've got our advertising marketplace off the ground. The demand is here. There are podcasters making, uh, you know, five figures uh, or more um, on the platform right now. So we've sort of gotten over the hump and got the flywheel starting to spin. And so that was really kind of how the roadmap was designed is let's just build a bunch of amazing tools for podcasters to entice them on board. Let's give them away for free. And then let's figure out how to help them make money down the road. So how did you go about building your team? You got to bring in people to help you take this thing to the next level. How did you do that? And how or what did you look for in those people to indicate they were the winning horses to join your team? I got a lot to say about this. I, I mean, I, I worked at Uber when Uber went from 250 people to, I don't know, 25,000. You know, a lot of people were there by the time I left. And over the course of the time I was there, I hired probably 50 people and also was part of a program there at Uber called Bar Raisers, which is a thing they stole from Amazon. It's a uh, it's the idea that there's, there's always sort of like a, I don't want to call them a, a cop, but a, a experienced interviewer whose job it is to maintain high standards across the organization. And so because I was part of that program, I probably did like five or 600 interviews over my time at Uber, which is just an insane number. So I have a lot to say about what it means to, to, to pick the right people for your team. I have a lot to say about that. I think, first of all, you should know a lot of the folks from the early Red Circle team also came from Uber. And so I had the luck of being able to have some folks reach out who were interested, who I wanted to, who I sort of already knew uh, and was familiar with their work. And so it's just a lot more powerful to be able to hire somebody whose work you're familiar with in the real world versus, you know, four hours of, of interviews and, and, and coding tests where somebody's breathing down your neck. It was great to work with folks from Uber who who I had fam was previously familiar with their work, uh, and and that's just a much better starting point than than a couple hours of interviews. It's just that you can actually know about their work and have met their manager or even sat in on meetings where their performance was discussed. Then you know you're hiring somebody who's truly great. But you know the other thing is when you're working at a startup, you know when we're hiring the first couple of people, um, these are absolutely critical hires for the future success of your business. Not just because of their sort of how well can they code, how well can they build, um, but also sort of the team is small. 
if you have one bad apple there in terms of culture, uh, you can be in a really tough spot in the beginning. Um, and so we were very diligent about hanging out with people, getting to know them, uh, getting a feel for what it would be like to work together so that we were sure we were hiring um, the right people. Um, you know, in my view, that latter category, people sometimes call soft skills, which I think is a, is a bogus name, but but you get the idea. That category, especially in the early stage, is just as important as, as, as somebody's technical skills. I think that's super important. The other thing is that we were careful about and really thought about was trying to maintain a gender balance as much as possible and look for other forms of diversity too. Uh, and if you take a look at the Red Circle team and how it stands today, there's 11 of us. We all look very different. We all talk very different. We did a good job of making sure that it wasn't just a bunch of people that look and, and sound like me, which is cool and was important. And I think, you know, there are like moral reasons to want to have a diverse team, but more importantly, you know, the research and the literature out there is very clear that diverse teams just make better decisions. When you have more diverse ideas generated from more diverse backgrounds, you know, you're going to end up with better decisions getting made. So let's talk about scalability. So did you build this to be able to scale efficiently from day one, or was this something you were fighting kind of as you grew? Yeah, we haven't struggled with uh, with scalability too much. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. One is we learned a lot of lessons from our time at Uber. And I personally learned a lot of lessons there. Whereas uh, at a startup, you, you should make trade-offs. You don't need to set everything up to scale for forever. But on the other hand, I've, I've been in the horror shows of what happens if you pay no attention. And so I, uh, I we did put some time into making sure we were ready to do that from the start. And there's a couple key decisions that we did for that to be possible. So one is, you know, different from a lot of other podcasting companies, our application is actually serving these audio files because we're stitching together the content on the fly. Um, so instead of just a CDN serving a static file, we're actually stitching these byte for byte together as the, as the file flies out. You know, if you're doing that in a slow language uh, on a slow machine, you're going to run into performance problems, I think, pretty quickly. And so we were sort of, I think, smart in having the backend being written in a high performance language like Go, as opposed to an interpreted language that's, that's going to do that much slower. I'm very glad we made that call. The other thing that was a huge improvement over our time at Uber, where Uber ran its own data centers, was uh, was using AWS and just taking advantage of all the services that you can use there that can just easily scale up, like DynamoDB, which we use for the database, or EC2, where we can spin up new instances as needed uh, on the fly. You know, a bunch of other stuff, hosted Elasticsearch, their Kinesis streams, which are like, you know, streaming infrastructure, a bunch of things that make it really easy to scale up without having to think too hard. And like, maybe that means I'm going to be paying a bajillion dollars to AWS down the road, but it's been worth it to take advantage of their infrastructure instead of just relying on low level stuff or what Uber did, which was to run its own data centers, which nowadays is, is just nuts. So I would say we spent enough time on it to make sure it wouldn't hold us back. Um, and I think that was the right choice, given that, you know, if your podcast platform fails all the time uh, and you're not serving the content, the, the thing that's tricky about our platform is we have 1,500, uh, about 1,500 monthly active podcasters on the platform. That's great. But we have millions and millions of listeners that are listening to that content. You know, while while our software and the, our business size is really designed to service those 1,500 uh, podcasters, uh, if things break for the listeners, uh, you're going to hear it all right, from a lot of people who are who are trying to do it. And so we wanted to make sure that no matter what, our podcast uh, delivery uh, is up. And, and I think our history has shown that our uptime there is really good. On the other hand, you know, they're using a high performance language like Go um, has slowed us down in terms of development, right? So we could have used something like Ruby on Rails or Django or something where you can really iterate a lot more quickly. 
Uh, and I actually think a, a better choice would have been to, to sort of do a hybrid between the two, where the actual streaming of the audio is happening in a high performance language, but the general sort of content management and regular features that you want to iterate on quickly was done, was done somewhere else. So as you step out on the balcony, look across all that you've built with Red Circle, what are you most proud of? I think it's easy to be proud of, of making podcasters money. I think when we looked at this industry and we saw where the money was being made, is really in the hands of the top thousand podcasts only. And most of those podcasts were existing celebrities from other places or uh, folks associated with large podcast networks that are sort of big businesses getting acquired for $100 million. What we saw when we looked at the data is that we believe there is a ton, half or more of the engagement is actually happening on podcasts that sit in the middle of the market that have between, you know, a thousand and, and 50 to 100,000 listeners. And those podcasts are very underserved by the current state of monetization in podcasting today. And so when I look around at the podcasts that are making tens of thousands of dollars uh, since we've started working with ads, um, or the podcasts that are making tens of thousands of dollars um, by, by putting up paywalls in front of their content and using Red Circle, you can be super proud that these folks who basically weren't making much money before on this content all of a sudden are getting their rent paid um, or more from, from their work and sort of taking what was maybe a hobby or a small source of income for them and turning it into something big and powerful in their lives um, is, is really amazing. You know, we've had a couple of folks reach out to us in search of advertising revenue since the pandemic has hit, where folks have lost their jobs or they work a sort of gig worker life. And so some of their gigs have dropped out and so they're looking to make more. And so when we can help people make ends meet or, um, or not have to worry about making ends meet, that's just something that makes me feel really proud about the work that we've done. Uh, you know, and, and then on top of that, separate from the money part, because we offer up the podcasting services for free, we have a number of podcasters who you know, are too small to make money for now, um, but I've had the opportunity to get their voice heard um, simply because our platform exists. So we have school classrooms that are uh, publishing content. We have you know, folks who, who have told us that, that this is their first time ever kind of uh, pr producing something and publishing it out to the world. You know, that's just an amazing feeling to give people voice for the first time. So it's easy to be proud of connecting with so many creators and helping them to get themselves out there. So let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. One of the products that we, that we released, we decided that my co-founder, who is a product manager by training, was going to work on sort of non-product and engineering work for a minute and work on growth. And I was going to work as the product manager on a product and sort of wing it without a designer and just kind of uh, figure it out. My, my opinion on product managers has really evolved over the course of my career as an engineer, and, and it has never been more appreciative of the work of what a product manager does than when I tried to do it and did such a bad job. You know, I think a lot of times uh, engineers can look at product and think like, oh, this person's a taskmaster or this person always wants us to jump higher um, or this person doesn't really understand what's going on under the hood and, and just sort of uh, develop a natural tension. And, and that, a little bit of tension is good in that relationship. But I can tell you from trying to be a product manager as a technical engineer with no design skills, uh, it's very, very hard and very, very challenging. And we did, we did a poor job on a product as a result. And the result, you know, the product is out there. It's great. It's making people lots of money. 
but uh, the result is that it took a lot longer, uh, believe it or not, than, than it should have. And it was missing pieces because I didn't think through edge cases. I didn't think all the way through all the ways that people might use the product. I didn't do user research. So people were confused by certain items that we had to go back and revise. It's just important to thank your product manager uh, and to make sure that you're doing the work and not just firing from the hip when making product decisions. Um, otherwise, it's going to end up taking you longer while you go back in time and, uh, and fix bugs or product problems that, that could have been anticipated with the product work up front. Absolutely. That's great stuff. Uh, we need to set up a national holiday for thank your product manager day. <laughs> Definitely. From all the engineers. So what does the future look like for Red Circle, the product and for your team? Right now, we're very focused on getting podcasters paid. Um, it's been a long run of let's get podcasters on board so that we can get them paid. And now it's very focused on let's get podcasters paid. Obviously, Red Circle has a revenue share as a part of getting podcasters paid. So we have an interest in there so we can continue to grow our business and, and help more podcasters get paid. Uh, so that's what our main focus is. And what that what that means is a lot of our technology focus is focused on making more and more attractive technology for advertisers because uh, that's going to bring more liquidity to the marketplace. So what are the kinds of things that advertisers really want uh, are, are very sort of specific features to the way that they buy. So for example, Red Circle right now uses dynamic insertion for the advertising. Some advertisers really want to buy. I want to buy an episode that drops in this week and I want only that episode and nothing else. Or I want an episode in these three weeks and those episodes and nothing else. And despite the fact that we can stitch their ad into any episode, they really want to buy on specific ones. So we have new features coming out that are going to help advertisers to be able to do that. We have new features coming out that are going to help uh, advertisers to be able to negotiate on rates because advertisers want to, you know, see if they can get a 20% discount. Podcasters don't want to make it 10 and then everybody's happy because the deal gets done. So really just trying to look for ways to make it easier for the advertisers to accomplish their goals so that all the podcasters uh, can get paid is, is very much our focus for a minute here. And then the other thing is advertising right now in podcasting is mostly folks with pretty large budgets, maybe not large budgets in, you know, like a Pepsi size budget, but large budgets relative to some of these smaller and mid-sized podcasts that we work with. You know, a lot of those smaller mid-sized advertisers can't access podcasting without dedicating a ton of time and emails and spreadsheets to be able to running these campaigns by hand. And they're too small to hire an agency to do it on their behalf because the agency is not going to make enough money to make it worth their while either. And so we're also very focused and interested on what do these small and mid-sized advertisers look like? How can we service them? How can we build tools for them to be able to execute campaigns and not have it be incredibly complicated, but also not powerful enough to, to be able to help them achieve their goals? So very focused on the advertiser right now. Um, but again, you know, I didn't, didn't leave Uber to be very excited to build an advertising technology business. What we were excited to do was, was help get podcasters paid and make their podcasts, you know, take it from a hobby to a business. And so that's what we're, that's what we're focused on. Let's switch to you, Mike, a little bit. Who influences the way that you work? And name a CEO, CTO, architect, really, really any person. Name a person you look up to and why. I'm not a believer in what I call entrepreneurialism or the entrepreneurial religion. I think that businesses are started by sort of real people every day that have families and hobbies and, and are not sort of spending their days asleep on the floor of their office like, like Edison I don't think you have to be some kind of incredible hustler who doesn't do anything but their work uh, in order to be successful in this world. And, and if you are that, are you really successful in this world? You know, I tend not to buy into some of the people that a lot of folks kind of look at and say, oh, this is the, you know, the Elon Musks out there. Uh, that, that's not my style. 
And so, you know, I think most of the people who I would look up to and how they run a business actually aren't the ones that you read about every day. And so instead to answer this question, I think I'll give you somebody who's not real. <laughs> uh, I'm a nerd. I like Star Trek. I think Jean-Luc Picard is a good example of somebody to look up to in, in terms of leadership. Everything he does from a leadership perspective is what real leaders should follow. Certainly hardworking, but also, you know, listens to his team when there's tough decisions to be made, takes in all sides, shows humility. There's just a ton that's there uh, to, to show you how good leadership is done, where you're building deep relationships with the people that work with you so that they'll follow you into anything, um, but trying to, to maintain your morals along the way. There's a lot to learn from him. And I, I encourage folks not familiar with Star Trek The Next Generation to give it a watch. So if you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently or where would you consider taking a different approach? Using something like Rails for the business logic, I think that would have been something that, that would have been a smart uh, choice early on. I think that another piece that would have been a good move for us early was to build our products with a little bit more automation and a little bit less customization. Uh, I would say our, our software has a, a good number of bells and whistles um, and lots of little knobs. And most people just want to click a button and, and be done with it. And, you know, there's, that's always a balance in any software as to like how much customization you want to have versus ease of use. Um, but I think we may have gone a little bit down the customization angle uh, a little too far. I'll give you an example. So like right now, if you want to run a cross promotion on Red Circle, you get into a cross promotion with another podcast. Um, you get a little chat window where the two of you can chat back and forth. And then you both configure um, your side of the cross promotion campaign and both parties kind of click a button to say accept once they like the deal in the state that it's in and then it, it runs. I think what probably would have worked better is something that was a lot more sort of automated where, you know, we would match you up with somebody else based on what we know about the two audiences, kind of walk everybody through it, uh, as opposed to giving like an open chat window where everybody can interact and learn from each other, it just kind of creates more friction instead of actually getting the deal done. And so I think going back, we probably should have taken, you know, a more opinionated stance on how the software should be used, as opposed to just giving a bunch of knobs and whistles. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who has built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. They can't wait to show it to you. And they think it's really going to be a game changer. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? I think you're going to get a different answer from me than you might get from other people on this one. So it gets back to this kind of uh, entrepreneurialism that I was talking about before, where I think a lot of people worship the entrepreneur but they forget that there's a selection bias in the people that you see who succeed. There's a lot of folks who don't. The entrepreneurial journey, this is not the first company I've tried to start. I've, I had other ideas in the past that, that didn't get off the ground long ago. You know, a lot of times it doesn't work out. You know, in this case, it's working out great for me, but sometimes it doesn't work out. I think a lot of things to pay attention to also is that, you know, it's not uh, it's not all guts and glory. You know, a lot of what's made us successful is taking things that should be done by technology and managing them by hand. You know, for a long time before we had an automated marketplace for advertising, we were doing a lot of ad deals by hand. And doing that stuff is really just kind of a grind, right? So be ready to grind, I think, is one of the first things that you should say. And it's not all glorious while you're doing it. And then I think the other thing is that people, because of that entrepreneurial religion, I think people get caught up in the hustle, in the, the, the hype, and in the growth itself, instead of focusing on their customers, their product, its growth, details. 
And so, you know, being an entrepreneur is about motivating your team and is about generating buzz for your product. But if you're just generating buzz and nothing else, then, you know, one day you're going to look down and there's going to be no floor under you or, you know, the music's going to stop and there's going to be no chair. And so it's very, very important not to get caught up in being an entrepreneur and instead to just be super laser focused on the product, on your customers, on your business and how it's operating to make sure that you can you know, keep the thing moving forward while still uh, making sure that you stay connected to reality and not just hype. That's great advice. Well, Mike, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for being on Code Story and telling the creation story of Red Circle. No problem. Thanks for having me. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Labhart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. <laughs>